Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. standing all over this building. What a touch of God. Would you thank the Lord for His presence? In Jesus' name. We are remain standing. You can return to your seats. We are so honored to have with us Pastor Sister Natalie Huckabee. We're so thankful that they're back. I told them when they came, I said, welcome home. Aren't we glad to have them with us today all the way from Missouri? Blue Springs. This coming April will be celebrating 10 years. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years. And at a very critical moment in my life when I had a TIA blood clot went to my went to my brain and had to make some changes. They came here for three plus months and and I'm gonna tell you, I've I've never laughed that much in my entire life. Excuse me, but to know Huck is to laugh. And uh, he's so funny and spiritual. Somebody told me one time he's one of the most funny spiritual people you ever meet in your life. And boy, was that ever true. And uh, I literally laughed so much over three months that my jaws had been sore, but I think I developed laughing muscles in my cheeks. And uh, But we're so thankful for them. has a powerful voice, travels the world preaching. And God has blessed his family. They have an amazing, amazing family. Mallory, Rhett, and Knox. And uh, we're so thankful. This this weekend's come on up, Brother Huck. But we this this weekend we've had a marriage weekend. Uh, Friday night, Saturday, and it was just epic. So amazing, so fulfilling, and and the teaching, the love you felt was awesome today. How many enjoyed the panel session today? Wasn't that great? That was great this morning at 10 a.m. But we're so thankful for you, your friendship. The other day, I told somebody, God's blessed me with great friends. And, and I was thinking of you and uh, some of my close friends. That I said, if I needed somebody today, they would be here tomorrow. They would. They would far drive. They would make sure they were here. And I know that about you. And I thank you for your love and kindness to the Lord. The anointing of the Lord's upon him. When he preached, he's going to minister to every single person in this building. How many want to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church, to the man of God? Would you give him a big Zanesville welcome? Would you do that? Amen. 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 I, uh, I was thinking of all the people maybe to preach this morning on Pastor Appreciation Weekend. I understand it's Marriage Weekend, but we also honor Brother Bounds today. Uh, so many of you sitting around this room have been impacted by uh, Brother and Sister Bounds' anointed voice. Uh, and if I could frame it up this way, I said it this weekend at our marriage retreat, uh, maybe uh, their voice have been your salvation uh, in a crisis moment. We talked about that a little bit this morning too. Uh, maybe their their voice has been the voice that God used in your crisis moment. And uh, I am here this weekend and so thankful. We are driving through Zanesville, reminiscing over the last couple of days. And I said to my wife in the truck, uh, there is uh, nowhere uh, like Zanesville. There's no place like the anchor. And there's nobody like Aaron and Cindy Bounds. Amen. Uh, Nat, Nat and I came here at a crisis moment, and uh, God used your pastor and his wife to restore our soul. And when uh, Blue Springs called, uh, the Lord had prepared us in Zanesville uh, because our soul had been restored. And over the last 10 years, that obviously has continued to happen. And I can't tell you how much I love your pastor and his wife and what their voice has meant to me. And uh, I love this church. I look out across this room, Brother Bounds, there wasn't this many people here when I was here 10 years ago. Something's happened in the last 10 years. And uh, so I'm just so thankful. I celebrate with you today the goodness of the Lord 
and what the Lord's done at the Anchor Church. Amen? Uh, if you have your Bibles, the book of St. Mark is where I'll direct your attention this morning. The book of St. Mark, chapter 1, and uh, I would just say your uh, leadership team uh, that put together the retreat this weekend, the marriage retreat, what, what a great balance of information and joy uh, that was shared in that meeting, a lot of laughing, and uh, so you, you need to sign up for next year. Uh, I, I would be remiss not to say this, I may even repeat it tonight in my introductory remarks, but... Uh, Brother Bounds came to me uh, 10 years ago uh, and he said to me uh, Brother Huckabee he said uh, he, he said Huck he said Huck you and I belong together and I said well I, I appreciate that I said what, what what do you mean he said well he said you know I have a tendency to be too spiritual and you have a tendency to be too carnal and so together we make the right mix. I have found that Brother Bound balances me and I do try to interject a hint of carnality every once in a while just to kind of keep him ready. So uh, if you feel like along the way, if there's a problem, Brother Bounds, don't call me because I'm not going to take anybody else's side but his. But if you feel like he's getting a little too spiritual, call me because I can't help him there. Amen. <laughs> That's my gift. Amen. The book of St. Mark, chapter 1, verse number 6. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locust and wild honey and preach, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And immediately... The Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. If I could just preface my remarks this morning by saying that Jesus was in a crisis moment. I don't. I don't like business. I don't like what they do. I don't like the questioning. I don't like the struggle. I don't like the season that you have to navigate. The Bible, the Bible says in Mark 1 that it was the Spirit that drove Jesus into the wilderness. I have never enjoyed crisis moments. If I could say it this way, I, I never have enjoyed navigating the seasons of tragedy and hell that sometimes saints of God have to navigate. I don't like them. Something happened in the garden that it was the crisis moment that became the formation of Christ's ministry. I hate the desert, but I love what happens when you come out. The Lord will help me for just a few moments. I want to preach to you. The emphasis is on the exodus. The emphasis is on the exodus. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? Let's invite him to speak all over the room. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for what we feel in this house. I pray, God, that you would speak clearly all over this room. I pray that we would not be hearers, Lord, only, Lord, but we would apply your word. I pray, Lord, that your glory would show up in this room, bring healing and strength, and we give you 
thanksgiving and honor in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, would you clap your hands to the Lord? God bless you. You can be seated. Jesus, the Messiah, who was in all ways tempted like as we are yet without sin. It's this verse that lends us to the idea that Christ approached this showdown with Satan with a choice. The choice to choose his sinless messiahship or opt for possibly a lesser life sentence. Death was inevitable, but its prolonging and change in methodology had to appeal to the flesh of Jesus Christ. However, it is in our text this morning that the Bible records that it was the Spirit that drove Jesus into the wilderness. And I say this to every believer here today, that I believe the Spirit ought to be the driving force in every life. I, I don't believe that the Spirit and the adherence to the direction of the Spirit is something that is uh, just a good idea. But I believe that for all of us who are gathered here today, that our lives and decisions should be orchestrated and filtered through the lens of the Spirit. In fact, the Bible says this, that ye who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Do you know that sonship is not simply based on biology or birth? We've got communities that are filled with people who have a biological father, but he is not present in their life. They live with insecurities and self-esteem and struggles perhaps for a good portion of their life until they have a season of reconciliation because that a father has abandoned them. And so because that you were born and had a biological father does not mean that you have a present father. But ye who are sons, sonship, you are led by the Spirit. Can I help you this morning? Is The Spirit ought to be the driving force in every person's life in this room. I'm just old-fashioned enough to believe, Brother Bounds, that the Holy Ghost can fix just about every problem that your life will incur. I'm going to tell you, a good Holy Ghost prayer meeting will fix just about every tragedy that you're trying to navigate through in the season of life that you're living in. I'm going to tell you, the Holy Ghost will show up in your midnight hour when you're about to lose your mind and what the counselor couldn't counsel you out of and what... The banker couldn't get you out of bankruptcy through. You'll just have a little overshadowing of the Holy Ghost. And if you through your sonship will adhere to the direction of your father, the spirit, God will do what no other power can do. If you need your marriage fixed today, why don't you let your life be ordered of the Lord? If you need your money put back together, why don't you let your spirit be led by the Lord? If you have an addiction problem today, but you need to be free, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Why don't you lend your life to the direction of the Spirit? Clap your hands to the Lord. John 16 and 13 says that when the spirit of truth is come, it will lead and guide you into all truth. I'm going to tell you, you got somebody that you're trying to lead to truth, but they can't see it. All you have to do is get them in a good Holy Ghost meeting. 
Because when the spirit of truth is come, I'm going to tell you, I've seen people that have out of hand rejected everything that the church believed in and every value that the church espoused, but you get them right in the middle of the Holy Ghost meeting and the spirit start to run through the contours of their body and all of a sudden their mind snaps back into recognition and they start believing things that they've never believed before. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost will heal your mind, but it is the avenue through which we find truth. For when the spirit of truth is come, you say, Pastor, I don't see it the way you're preaching it. That's all right. You just rely on the Holy Ghost. And when the spirit of truth is come, it's going to lead you and guide you through every decision that you make. However, if we're not careful, we have a tendency to live on minimum. Luke 17, 10. So likewise, when you've done all these things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You know, here, here's, here's part of the challenge we navigate through in our thinking is that we, we, we like to live on minimums. Consider for a moment that Cornelius broke down the door of partition to the Gentiles, right? And salvation came to an entire sect of people. You know why? Because he didn't even know he could go to heaven. He didn't even know if he could be saved or not. But he got up and did far more than was necessary for him to do in the amount of truth he was living in. You know, we, we got this little saying, I don't, I don't know if you say this or not, but I, I've pastored long enough to hear it a time or two. Is this a heaven or hell issue? Is this, is this a heaven or hell issue? You know what that question means? Almost nothing. I mean, it really don't. Because people come in and say, now, pastor, if I make my decision this way, is it a heaven or hell issue? Wrong question. Wrong question to ask. Does this please the Lord is the right question to ask. In fact, it's a statement of an unprofitable servant. Because what you're saying is, I want to do just what is my duty to do. I want to do just enough to get by right here. I want to do just enough to get to heaven. This is marriage weekend. If I sent Natalie flowers, and I called her on the way home, I said, babe, Man, I love you. You're the best thing ever happened to old Huck. But you know, we talk too much. I mean, we're just a couple of yackers. We really talk too much. And I'll be honest with you, it's really consuming too much of my time. But I love you. And I want to stay together. But I'm wondering, what's the fewest amount of dates that we have to go on? And what's the least amount of time that we have to spend in communication for me to still reap the rewards of the relationship? Now, I don't know what your wife's like. i got a sweet wife. But it would sound something like this, click. And I can promise you when I got home, it'd be weird. You wouldn't have to be spiritual or anything like that to walk up in the house and it'd be cold and weird and odd. And you seem, I, you know, something just isn't right here. 
You know why? Because you can't build a relationship with your spouse based on minimums. And neither can you build a relationship with your God based on minimums. I'm telling you that every believer in this room ought to live in a way that your lives are led by the Spirit. That God is the driving force in every decision you make. You don't choose a career. You don't choose a college. You don't choose a spouse. You don't choose a place of worship based on how you feel or the minimum investment. You make your choices based on the leading of the Spirit. However it is that the Spirit infrequently will lead us in places that make us uncomfortable. The Bible, the Bible said that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Anybody ever gone through a crisis and asked what the author of the crisis really was? Brother Bounds, there have been a few times in my prayer closet I've said, is this me that's got me in this mess? Is this the enemy that's got me in this mess? Or is this God that's got me in this mess? I want to tell you, sometimes it's hard to know the difference because the cloud of the crisis keeps us from seeing what the author of the crisis truly is. Whether it be the blade of a thief in a dark alley or the precise scalpel of the surgeon on the table, both create a wound and both require healing. And sometimes it's hard to know whether the source is an enemy or a help. I hate the desert. I hate the desert. I hate the crisis. I hate the confusion that it creates in my own spirit. The Bible said, however, that the Spirit ushered Jesus into the desert. I hate it. I hate the desert. One, because the desert's so sparsely populated. What Jesus went through in the garden, he went through alone. And you know, it's just like the devil, brother, up to grave. He don't show up when we're shouting and singing Jesus at the center of it all. He waits till everybody's gone. And you're in the middle of a crisis season. And you're in an identity crisis. And then the enemy shows up and said, uh, you're really not the son of God. If you really were the son of God, then you would turn these stones into bread. You'd go up to the temple and cast yourself down and let an angelic host catch you. You're really not who you claim to be. So not only is there not the affirming words of a brother or sister in the middle of his crisis moment, but that's when the enemy chose to show up and question who he was. Don't you hate it? When the enemy shows up in a moment of your struggle and he starts questioning who you are and what your destiny is and he tries to sow confusion into your spirit and you start wondering if you're ever going to make it out of the storm. I hate the desert. There's no human pat on the back. There's no words of affirmation. And the enemy shows up and starts trying to confuse us with devaluing who we are. Lastly, maybe worse, is that Satan said something to Jesus that day in the garden that he says to every one of us. He said, uh, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. 
Do you, do you know what Satan was really saying, Brother Mia? I'm going to give you an I know that your purpose is to take all the kingdoms of the earth. But if you'll bow down and worship me, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to circumvent Calvary. Jesus knows Calvary's coming. And he is to be the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And if Satan knows that this is the Christ, God in flesh, then he knows what his purpose is at Calvary and what he is offering him in that crisis moment is the opportunity to not ever have to go to Calvary. And too frequently the enemy shows up in our crisis moment and he offers us an alternate route to get out of our crisis so that we don't ever have to go through an altar moment. I hate the desert because the desert leaves me without the affirming word of a brother or a sister. It leaves me questioning my identity and too frequently it offers me an opportunity to circumvent the very thing that God wants me to learn in the crisis. I hate the desert. I hate it. But I know something about deserts. I know this morning that you're either in one, you're about to go through one, or you're about to come out of one. Because the desert is inevitable. But I didn't come this morning to preach about the desert. I come to preach about what happens when you come out of it. Because as sure as Jesus went through the identity crisis and as sure as the enemy questioned who he was and as sure as he offered him the opportunity to circumvent Calvary, there was coming a day where he would step on the precipice of the door and the garden and the desert would be no more but he would step into his foreordained destiny. I want to preach to somebody. It is not the time to get focused on what you are going through. It is not the season to get focused on your struggle or the tumult of the challenges that you're facing. But there's coming a day as sure as we are here that you will step through that door and you're about to receive authority over everything that you have gone through. I want to tell you this morning that you're coming out. You're coming out with jurisdictional authority. God has allowed this season, but when you step out through the doorway of your crisis, God is going to have put on you an authoritative anointing that gives you dominion over the next season. Jesus, Jesus steps out of the desert and the first words that we hear recorded is Luke 4, 18. And Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ear. Can I give a little purpose to your pain? Is that the struggle is going to come to a conclusion and you're going to have a this day moment where you look at all that you've been through and the hell that you've navigated and the storms that you have traversed the sea and walked on and you're going to be reminded there was a purpose for your pain and you're going to be able to say the spirit of the Lord is upon me and my struggle gave me anointing. Woo. That phrase, now I feel my, feel my help. That phrase translated 
means that Jesus was given jurisdictional authority. You just quoted it sitting in a pew right here before I walked up to preach. You said jurisdictional authority. That's what that phrase means. When Jesus came out of the garden and he spoke those words, it literally translates Jesus saying, I have jurisdictional authority. Let me tell you what jurisdictional authority means. It means the rights that are granted by the speaking of the law. In other words, when Jesus walked out of the garden, he started opening his mouth. And when he opened his mouth, he had authority over the things that were in the jurisdiction that he had authority over. I want to help somebody. you got authority over what you've been through. If you're in this room and you've been divorced, every time some hurting soul walks in here in a split marriage, you ought to put your hand on them. Because what God navigated you through in your desert, you have authority over Every person in this room that is a cancer survivor, every time somebody walks in here with a tumor, you ought to have your hand on them and you ought to be taking authority over their sickness because there was a purpose for your pain. And now you have authority and anointing over the issues that you've been through. Jesus walked out and said, I have authority. I've got authority over some of the things that I've been through. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to set at liberty the captive. I've come to speak life in the lifeless. I'm preaching to somebody in this room. There is a purpose for your desert. You just thought you were going through hell, but you're about to step through the door of your struggle. And when you do, there is a new dimension of anointing that's about to come on you, and you're going to operate in a new level of authority that you've never operated in. The rights that are granted by the speaking of the law. Some of you need to open your mouth and take authority over your enemy. That enemy that's been speaking to your lost children. That thing that's been speaking into your marriage. That issue that's been speaking into your finances. Why don't you open your mouth and with your anointing, why don't you begin to speak life over the issues that make you feel in crisis? I'm going to tell y'all something. We let the enemy talk too much. And he's just yakking. And we're not careful. We're listening while he's yakking. Bible said that David walked out into the valley of Elah. Watch this. I want to help you. He walked out into the valley of Elah. Israel's encamped on one side and the Philistines are encamped on another. And Goliath the giant comes and stands in the valley and says, send me out a man that we might do battle. Read a couple of verses later. And by the time David has arrived on the scene, the Bible says this, for the giant had come up. Now, if the Philistines are encamped on one side and Israel is encamped on the other and he's been going to the valley, that means an unconfronted giant is trying to walk into their camp. I want to tell somebody in this room, if we're not careful, we go through a little something and we get down and out and we struggle and we'll let the enemy walk right into our camp unconfronted and steal everything we got. Oh, you don't hear me. The enemy's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy your finances. And unconfronted, he'll walk right into your family and steal everything you got. But David walked out in the middle of that arena and he said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistines that would defy the armies of the Lord? Let me stop here and help you. He said armies in a plurality that the giant had never defined. What David was saying to the giant that day is I'm not alone in this battle. There are armies here. This isn't just me and this isn't just Israel. 
but the angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. There is a supernatural army that is fighting on your behalf. And if you'll take out your sword and get in the middle of the battle with your enemy and make a declaration of faith, you can't have my home. You can't have my faith. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my hope. Greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. enemy will walk into your home and you'll speak discouragement. Brother Bounds and I were talking last night. My little girl, we took the church in Blue Springs. There were no kids her age. The first year we were there, we had to call another church in St. Louis and ask if our daughter could go to Junior camp with them because we didn't have any kids go to junior camp. You know, some parents would say to their kids, well, babe, we don't have anybody your age, huh? Let's transfer churches. Let's, let's find an alternate route. Let's do something else. No, that ain't what my wife said. She said, well, babe, I guess that means one thing. You're going to have to start winning some friends. So Mallory, about fifth grade, started calling all of her friends in our little community there, in our little area, and started inviting them to church. Brother Bounds, one night, I, she calls me and she said, hey, Dad, can you bring the church band? I got 17 friends coming to church tonight. Yeah. Brother, up to grave. By the end of the night, 14 of them were talking in tongues. And I baptized three of them in Jesus' name. I was on my way to camp meeting, and the superintendent called me. He said, Huck, he said, the district secretary just told me what happened with Mallory at school. He said, tonight I'm preaching camp meeting. At the end of the service, I want you to come to the platform and I want, you to, I want you to end the altar call by telling the story about what happened to Mallory in your church. Okay. So I do. When I turn to walk off the platform, the enemy comes back. And he said, if you keep celebrating these people that have received the Holy Ghost, I will destroy Mallory. Bubba, I don't know what you struggle with. But there ain't much that gets my dander up than somebody messing with one of my kids. It can just get me off a little bit. You mess with one of old Huck's babies, he'll crawl across the table. He'll go crazy. Him's my babies. You can call me a fat boy. You can say I'm ugly. I know that's not true. But listen, you start messing with my kids, I get mad. And I'm going to tell you, some of y'all to have a little righteous indignation over some of the stuff that your enemy's saying to you. I recognize something in that moment. You know what it was? Is that the enemy is a liar and the father of all lies. If he's telling you something, then that means he can't do it. Hear me now. If the enemy's telling you your marriage is over, that means there's life left in it. If he's telling you you're bankrupt, that means there's fruitfulness ahead in your next decision. If he's telling you it's over, then it means it's just beginning. Some of you need to open your mouth and you need to praise your way into your destiny. Hear me. I 
Ephesians 4.27, Elder Tom, says, neither give place to the devil. You know what that means? Glad you asked. It literally, in a, in a modern amplified version, means run the devil off. Here's what you do. You've been through the desert and you've got authority over what you've been through. So instead of letting him occupy the airwaves and control what your mind thinks about, why don't you open your mouth and start running the enemy off? You're not welcome here. I'm about to give you the antidote to your crisis. Open your mouth and use your God-ordained faith and run your enemy off. I don't have to think in anxiety. I don't have to think in depression. I don't have to think in crisis mode. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. For I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Run him off. Keep standing. I'm almost done. The next thing. You know. Brother Cody. Do you know why? I believe that the men of Israel are intimidated by Goliath. Because the Bible said that Goliath was a champion. Now I get all these theologians and historians that say he struggled with giantism and that he was just a sitting duck. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe he's a champion because he's defeated people in the past. Because you don't become a champion by losing. You become a champion by winning. And when those men walk out over the cliff and they peer into the valley and they see this giant that's wearing this big gold belt that says champion of the world, he didn't win it by losing. And rehearsing in their spirit what they're calculating is all the people that fell to this giant before. What do you do? What do you do when the enemy that's in front of you was the enemy that took out your dad? What do you do? What do you do when the enemy that's standing out there in the valley took out your hero? What do you do? When the giant out there is the same giant of alcoholism that your dad fell prey to and your grandfather fell prey to and your uncle fell prey to and it's a generational curse. What do you do when the giant of the valley's immorality? Your mom was immoral and grandma was immoral. Aunt Sue was immoral. too long if you're not careful you start to ask this question do I have to be defeated by the same thing that every other member of my family has been defeated by do I have to be immoral do I have to be an addict do I have to struggle with alcoholism I believe the intimidation that's in Israel is because they've seen too many of their predecessors fall prey to the enemy that now is looking in their direction and they're not sure how to respond. But David said, hold on, I'm not afraid of this generational curse. He never asked how to defeat the giant. He just said, what are you going to give the guy that does? Some of us need to walk into this confrontation with some of the generational curses that have taken our families out and say, look what's about to happen to the bloodline following me. Look at the new legacy that is about to develop in our family lineage.
bridge because there is a victor in this room that I've been through the desert and I've navigated the season of hell and I've walked through the struggle but the anointing of the Lord is on me and I'm about to liberate a new lineage by the power of the supernatural. I'm done. The second thing that Jesus did when he came out of the desert was he made disciples. Yeah. If you don't know what that means, he not only came out with authority, he not only came out with signs, wonders, and miracles following his ministry. You ready? He came out with revival. I said he came out with revival. I'm telling you now that God's about to give your church a season of revival like which you have never experienced. I'm prophesying to this church that he's about to open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you cannot contain. And furthermore, he's going to open a door that no man can shut. How do we know? Because I've been through a little something and I navigated a little hell and I've had to fight a few battles. But the result of my struggle is the exodus that gives me authority. Years ago, I think I told this story here years ago. Years ago, I was. There was a lady in our church in Memphis, and she was the she was the office manager of a chiropractic clinic. Her name was Sister Deronda. And she talked to everybody about God that came in the door. In fact, there was one thing you knew. Either you were going to get saved, get mad, or both when you met Deronda. Well, Pastor Brookings, who was the pastor of Living Water Baptist Church, came into the chiropractic clinic. And Deronda said, Pastor Brookings, you know what you need? He said, what's that, Miss Hutchison? She said, you need the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking with tongues. He laughed. He said, I do, huh? She said, you do. Two weeks later, he come back in for a checkup. She met him. She said, Pastor Brookings, do you know what you need? You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking with tongues. Two weeks later, he calls the church office. He said, can I speak to the pastor? Brother Black answered the phone. He said, Brother Black, I've been on a three-day fast. In the middle of this three days, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, what you need is in that big old Pentecostal church up there. He said, would it be okay if I loaded up the bus and brought our congregation over and worshipped you with you on a Sunday afternoon? Brother Bounds, at the end of that Sunday afternoon, I think they brought 40, and I believe 35 of them left talking in tongues. Hey, I went dancing through the office complex. Woo! Brother Black said, Huck, you all right? I said, all right. I said, I don't know if you were there today. But I said, we just had 35 people get the Holy Ghost from Living Water Baptist Church, and now we're going over there to baptize them all in Jesus' name. He said, yeah. Yeah, we did. He said, why are you so excited? I said, what do you mean? He said, are you surprised? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, I don't know if you know it, 
But he said, for 26 years, we've been sowing here. He said, we've been having Bible studies. We've been having men's outings. We've been having youth outings. We've been canvassing the street. We've had tent revivals. He said, for 26 years, we've been sowing. And the word says, be not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever. A man soweth, that shall he also reap. You hear this preacher? Don't you walk out of this room and be surprised at what God is about to do in your church and in your family and in your personal life. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There are seeds in the ground and they have been watered with the words of prophecy. And as sure as they have been planted, there is coming a day that the greatest harvest that this region has ever experienced is coming to your church. Lift your hands all over this room and begin to praise the Lord. Woo! I'm telling you, miracles are coming. Don't be surprised at what God's about to do in your life. This struggle you're in, this crisis moment is merely the foretelling of the next dimension of your anointing. Step out the aisle and begin to bless the Lord, would you, all over this congregation. Say I'm coming out. I'm coming out with authority. I'm coming out with anointing. I'm coming out with a new dimension. I'm coming out with revival. I'm coming out with signs, wonders, and miracles that my struggle and I have authority over what I've been through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I'm coming out in a new dimension. I'm coming out in a new authority. Some of you need to open your mouth and run the enemy off. Submit yourself therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Run him out of your marriage. Run him out of your mind. Run him out of your spirit. You have authority. If you're in this room and you need the touch of the Lord right now, why don't you lift your hands? Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.